0: Before we get started, some very exciting news. Meet Your Maker is a founding member of an all-new Irish podcast network called The Warren. Take a listen. Fancy a trip down a rabbit hole with a difference? Join us in The Warren. A Warren is a network of interconnecting rabbit burrows. The Warren is a podcast network and home to the most remarkable and innovative podcasts in Ireland. Podcasts like Petrified, How To Be Sound, The Critter Shed, Meet Your Maker Science Drops and the Dublin Story Slam We're a group of Irish podcasters passionate about stories and Ireland's soil is rich in stories which is why we've made our home here The Warren the home of great Irish podcasts you can see all our member shows on the thewarren.ie and we're throwing a podcast party this month on Wednesday the 30th of October in the Sugar Club in Dublin at 7.30pm. Comedian Garode Farley is going to be chatting with myself and all of the other podcasters about our shows, how we make them, favourite guests, juicy podcaster gossip, the best kind. It's going to be great and I would love to see you there. So go to the thewarren.ie and book tickets now. They're only a fiver. Okay, on with the show. I was reading an article the other day by the author Deirdre Sullivan about her book, Perfectly Preventable Deaths. The opening line of the article was something that totally resonated with me and probably would resonate with most of the people we've talked to on this show. It read, The journey from a thing you're making to a thing that you have made is not a straight line. This so perfectly sums up the work that goes into making things. You take detours, you go on different paths. Sometimes you end up back at the start. Sometimes you stop for a while, but it is never a straight line. And I wanted to chat about that making journey further. So I went to meet Deirdre at her home for a chat over tea and biscuits. I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet Your maker. Oh, excuse me. Meet your maker. Deirdre's latest book, Perfectly Preventable Deaths, is a book for young adults about witches and sisters
1: two sisters who move from Cork to a little town in Galway called Ballyfran and they encounter different things there. Madeline kind of discovers her sexuality and she kind of finds this power that she has but in Ballyfran everyone has secrets and a lot of things are unspoken so as the girls discover more and more about the town it kind of it leads to quite a sinister climax.
0: The end of the book is also the end of a very long journey for Deirdre in writing it.
1: Coming up to November, and I'd done NaNoWriMo the previous year, where you write 1,167 words every single day.
0: NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month.
1: And I'd written the book that became Needlework, one of my earlier books, so I was kind of looking for an idea. And myself and my husband, then partner and my husband, were talking about kind of all these different, you know, like, gritty reboots of things. And I was kind of talking about how I used to love the monsters when I was a kid because they all got to be a thing you know it wasn't just the one person with the secret and it kind of it's like life because you know we're all very intricate and we all have our things and no one is more no one's a protagonist like we're all bit players you know um so I kind of got very interested in writing about a place where everyone had a lot going on And once I found Madeline's character, I I tend to write in first person and then you kind of get to know them after a few chapters and see where they're coming from.
0: Madeline is one of the sisters.
1: So then I was like, I was off and I wrote the first draft in a month.
0: Writing a whole first draft in a month to me sounds so quick and impressive. I can't imagine how Deirdre felt.
1: This is awesome.
0: Okay, maybe I can.
1: It has world building. I built a world. I am a god. Um, You know, I love writing. And the part I love the most is the first draft. When you are in the world and you can see it. And like, I get very lost in it, I suppose, which is quite addictive. Like... I could be in a coffee shop and someone could see me and say hello and I would not spot them. Like, um, Jermith has had, like, my husband has had conversations with me that I don't really remember because I was writing, so I wasn't really, li- you know, I wasn't really listening. And I like that I like getting lost in a project. And I find when you're working out what something is and the shape of it, for the first time, that's, that's the time that I'm most kind of taken with it. And everything else is kind of... It's polishing and it's fine-tuning and, like, revisiting, but you never have that same immersion again as when you're making something for the first time.
0: So presumably, with all that dedication and enthusiasm after writing the first draft, it's off to an editor and then to the printers and into a reader's hands, isn't it?
1: And then six years and 17 more drafts later, it came into, (laughs) it's available in shops now.
0: That kind of idealised version of writing a book in a snap is rare.
1: And generally, actually, it's one book in their career that they're like, it just came out of me in two weeks and I wrote it and here it is and it's perfect. Like, that's very rare. And each book I've written, Perfectly Preventable Deaths is my sixth, has been a different journey and it's had its own challenges. And it's been a teaching tool for me as well as a writer. Because every setback you have or everything you need to fix equips you with information and with experience as you engage on the next project. They've definitely had a lot of a lot of teachable moments writing PPD.
0: So the next step wasn't to bring it to an editor, but rather to do some self editing.
1: I polished it up because you do. You want to like at least have read it twice, like you know, we're not we're not animals. Um, and corrected spelling mistakes, fixed the different bits that I didn't like. Sometimes with first drafts, if you're getting from A to B. And you're not exactly sure what to do. Like I'll have like put tense scene here or like they, need, you know, she needs to find out this. So there'll be like caps locks notes to myself that are just like future dear to help me. But I fixed that and then I sent it off to an agent who I had previously had chats with. And she was very lovely and kind of waited to see what would happen and then she would have had a reader read it and we had a meeting and she gave me some very nice feedback that was hugely positive like and very very encouraging and i'm i'm grateful for it but um i was like it'll be a trilogy it'll change the world <laughs> you know <laughs> get ready um you know you're coming down off the high of having made a thing that was not there before um it's very embarrassing <laughs>
0: So the agent says to Deirdre, get out what you need to get out next. Like, if you're writing another book in the series, write it, come back to it and bring it back to me when there's more and it's more complete. And the reader gives her some notes that she says were helpful and positive.
1: Like, it was all very lovely and I actually don't necessarily regret sending it out that early because every experience that you have again is, you know, a teachable moment But I wouldn't do it with a book now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose it's the same with any book that you send out. Is the wait kind of daunting? And what do you do to kind of distract yourself while you're waiting?
1: I always have another project. So I used to, when I was writing Prim Improper, uh, my first trilogy... I would have a blog about my guinea pigs. I had guinea pigs at the time. And I would write about their ridiculous adventures, time traveling or whatever. And because I find having something else to write about, even if it's silly, it takes you out of it and it kind of reminds you why you like it. And like why I love writing isn't the business side, it's the writing side. So I think kind of to have a project going alongside it that is nourishing And so for those, you know, tense periods where you are waiting for approval that may not come or rejection that will inevitably come, it it helps to have another kind of friend beside you to remind you why, why it's valuable.
0: So Deirdre continues to write and rewrite the book but in the background because she's got other projects and just life.
1: We're all humans in the world and we've things to do. I work full time as a teacher. Writing doesn't pay the bills and that's fine. I love, I love teaching and I love working with autistic people. But, you know, they have to come first during term time. They absolutely do. Also, another thing that had to come first was I got under contract for the next book. And that is, I suppose, in a way, the pitfall of having another book on the go all the time though it is hugely comforting means that sometimes you do have to set a project that you care very deeply about aside and prioritize the thing you've signed a contract about. I would have written the first draft of Perfectly Preventable Deaths around the same time as I was working on Improper Order, the second book in the Primrose Leary trilogy and then Prim Perfect so I prioritized those books while I had edits and while I had deadlines and proofs and all, you know, all those bits that take it from the thing you made in your sitting room to the thing that's on a shelf in a bookshop. And it does, like... A book has more than one maker. There are editors, um, there are readers, there are kind of art directors, the cover designer, the illustrator. You know, there's, there's a whole team of people who get to it before the public does and each one of them leaves leaves their own mark and helps it to get to where it needs to be, which is which is lovely like it's not just me by myself. I came back to it. And I think, yeah, like about a year had passed and I came back to it for another polish to see where I could take it. And at that stage, I had a writer friend of mine, Graham Tugwell, read it and he would have given me feedback and enjoyed it. And um, a friend, Dave Rudden, read it as well and gave me really, really helpful feedback. So that's kind of I think that is a very useful resource when you're making something to have other people you respect who are also making things and get it. So I listened to them, did another polish on it, and then began sending it to agents. And I did so quite systematically. I had a spreadsheet and columns for the dates that I had submitted to, who I had submitted to, whether I got a response and whether that was yes or no. And it was all colour-coded because I am a primary school teacher above all things. (laughs) Um, And then all you had to do was wait. I'm not a person who... um, Well, no one is. Like, I was going to say I'm not a person who enjoys rejection. But who does? Like, no one does. (laughs) But I waited... I did, I think, about three or four people a month and some people got back to me and some people didn't and some people were very, very kind no's and some people were generic no's and then some people were yeses, which was absolutely lovely. So then kind of that means they request the full. So you've sent out a cover letter, a synopsis and the first three chapters and that's what they decide whether or not they are interested enough to read further. And then you kind of have another another stage where they're looking at it and wondering, well, you know, can we take it even further or is it a no and for whatever reason.
0: So surely time to head to the presses, right?
1: Claire Wallace, the woman who became my agent really liked the book, but she thought that it needed more and when I got back her notes I knew that I really really wanted her to take me on because she got what I wanted and she also was able to go outside the text and identify what it needed in a way that I couldn't because I was still in it to a certain extent.
0: Getting feedback isn't always easy because even if it's positive or makes total sense, you can still be clinging on to your original thoughts about what you're making and how you want to make it.
1: So when Claire asked me for a rewrite, I started with a blank document and I rewrote every single word. And this time I did not do it in one month. (laughs) I did it over the course of several months and the school holidays and sent it off and waited. And then eventually she enjoyed it and agreed to take me on. And I did a few more drafts for her before it was ready to go on submission. At which point you have another, you know, you have another kind of, you know, yes, no, maybe column um, going on. But I, I suppose like every little bit of insight you get, you know, there's the insights that you're like, OK, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. And then there's the ones that's like, oh, I get it, but it's going to be really hard. And every time you rewrite it, I suppose you're also reframing your expectations for it and what it can be. And I was slowly coming to the realization that no matter how much I enjoyed the world and how much I wanted to continue writing within the world, that the book had to stand on its own legs and be a satisfying narrative within itself rather than the introduction for something, because that's not a satisfying experience for a reader. And if you want to take them by the hand and lead them through something, you want when they close the book, for them not to feel like, oh, it's just kicking off now. And, you know, like, and that kind of, that sense of disappointment. Like, I really wanted them to feel satisfied. Because, like, a book is more than me making up things by myself. Like, it's also a conversation with the people who read it. And I write for young adults and I respect them too much to let them down, you know.
0: So after 17 drafts, Deirdre handed in her last.
1: It was very satisfying and it was it was nice to say goodbye to it because, I mean, obviously there were times when I had to edit it again and again when I was becoming kind of frustrated or stressed out about it and wondering would it ever be good enough. But by the last couple of edits, i kind of grown to like it more again and to kind of value it for what it was and the journey that it had taken.
0: So the last draft goes in and a proof of the book is published. But even at this stage, tweaks are still being made.
1: We did a proof, but there was another edit between the proof and it coming into the world. And it was an edit that I felt quite strongly about. And there's a couple of kind of word choices and particular moments. Like there was there's something that happens later on in the book and I don't want to spoil it. But I was worried about it because it's a sensitive thing and I didn't want to get it wrong. And one of my writer friends, Celine Kiernan, um, who writes for kind of younger readers and also teenagers, she would have read and enjoyed The Proof and I was kind of messaging her about it. And one morning, I got three voicemails from her before she went off to her full-time job. And like, literally within three voicemails, she fixed my book in one sentence and it's that thing it's that gift that people give you that's really really valuable so when i saw the book and i knew that it was finished and like i will still like every book i've ever written when i read from it there's always a little bit of me that wants to get the red pen out and change something you know because they're never they're never perfect it was a sense of completion and then i suppose my part of it there's a small you know there's promotion and there's talking about it and launching it and everything but my part was over, and I'd done the best I could. And now it's up to each individual reader of the book to decide what they think of it. And that is scary in a way, but also wonderful.
0: The journey that it took, like, had to be done. It was the right thing for that book.
1: Oh, it it absolutely was, and every draft gave it something right up to the end. And it's that, and I think every writer who's gotten a really, really good edit knows that feeling of, oh, you're right. You know, my first editor at Little Island, Siobhan Parkinson, would have said to me, I think the first time she sent me edits, she said, put them in a drawer for six weeks. And I always think of that. And now you mightn't always have six weeks, but you have, you know, you can maybe take a week But I think like emotionally, even like giving yourself that sense of distance from it is important because you have to think critically and clinically about your own work if you're going to turn it from sort of a nourishing emotional experience to a product that is not just for you, but is for other people too.
0: So the line, not straight, comes to an end. And of course, for the reader, it's just the beginning.
1: Prologue, Honeysuckle, Influenza, Birth Control, and Poison Our father died in flames when he was 26 and we were two. We don't remember. All we have is story. Sense memory. The feeling of soft earth. His name upon a pitted slab, limestone, lichen pocked. Orange, white, and crinkled dry as paper. The smell of grave implanting in our nail beds our fingers scraping through to trace his name. Tom Hayes, dearly beloved, you left too soon. They found him lying in the woods, a group of children on a nature walk, in a small, round glade between the trees, the beech, the oak, the hawthorn and the elm. The leaves beneath him weren't even burnt. He always cared for everything around him, ma'am said once. Even in death, he kept the forest safe. It's not something we talk about too often, The images I have might not be real, a voice, a lap, helping plant the flowers in our garden, little hands and big ones thick with earth. Memories are versions of what happened, stories that we've told ourselves enough. The fiction Ivy winding around the real to strangle out the bad, promote the good. If you are not careful, Ivy eats a house, it lets in rot.
0: Perfectly Preventable Deaths by Deirdre Sullivan is out now. Coming up after the credits, more from Deirdre about her time-traveling guinea pigs. Meet Your Maker is produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity, or theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. Meet Your Maker has a brand new website you can check out on meetyourmaker.ie. And like I said, we are a founding member of The Warren, the home of Great Irish Podcasts. So take a look at thewarren.ie and you'll find more podcasty goodness to listen to. Okay, so Deirdre was saying she wrote a blog about her guinea pigs. And as you can imagine, I needed to hear more about them.
1: So there were three. Um, My first guinea pig was Sisyphus. And my second guinea pig was William Butler Yeats. And my third guinea pig was Theolonius Monk.
0: What kinds of adventures did they get up to in the in the blog?
1: Um, well, Sisyphus and William kind of hated each other. So then um, Sisyphus was kind of trying to thwart William a lot. And then ultimately, like, I mean, in real life, Sisyphus passed away and William became the older guinea pig. So when Theo came, then William was trying to thwart him. And Theo was kind of just hanging around being handsome. So, William would travel through time for different purposes. Like, say, one of the blogs was he was trying to solve the Jack the Ripper murder case, but only if Theo did it because otherwise he had no interest. <laughs> um, so, it was like it was properly ridiculous stuff. Like, I did not rein myself in at all. Um, but I had a good time.